0: Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. This week, I had a really great time talking to Dr. Naveen Goyal. I was really inspired by Dr. Goyle's story. Uh, he was practicing clinical anesthesia for a long time in a private practice in Ohio, and he eventually transitioned to entrepreneurship part-time at first and then full-time, launching a company called Smile MD, where they provide dental anesthesia services. Now, I don't know if you know anything about dental anesthesia. I knew very little prior to having this conversation, but what I found is that access to timely care for dental patients in America, especially pediatric dental patients, is it's a real problem. And in certain urban areas, there can be months long, or in some cases, years long uh, waiting lists for procedures that need to happen in a hospital, exclusively because of the anesthesia care that has to be provided. So Dr. Goyle, has a really interesting business, really impactful, and I had a great conversation with him. So I hope you enjoy listening to today's episode as much as I enjoyed this conversation. As always, thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of APM Success. I'm very pleased to be joined this week by Dr. Naveen Goyal. Dr. Goyal is a board-certified anesthesiologist who, in addition to his clinical anesthesia work, founded a dental anesthesia business a little while ago. And this is something that I've long been interested in trying to understand. And I'm really excited to be talking to Dr. Goyle today. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. Um, for starters, maybe just give us a flavor for your background, just professionally and clinically.
1: Yeah. So I you know, went to medical school. I grew up in Ohio and Columbus and uh, went to medical school in Cincinnati and uh, did my residency in Chicago at the University of Chicago uh, and loved it. Loved the city of Chicago, loved residency, very intensely liked anesthesiology. And one of my old classmates actually told me that uh, I was the only person that said I was passionate about anesthesia, which usually is not in the same sentence. But uh, I ended up uh, doing a private practice back in Columbus uh, and was part of a large hospital based organization for 13 years. I became medical director of one of our hospitals a few years into it, which taught me a lot of leadership, taught me a lot about the boardroom and where the physician plays a role. And then I ended up doing some angel investing, which got me exposed to some entrepreneurs and gave me sources of inspiration that I really never tapped into. And as I got to know some of these entrepreneurs, it really started broadening my mindset of what a person can do, put your mind to it, you can leave uh, the comfort uh, of a a job or some stable kind of pathway and pursue a passion that you feel is is your calling. Uh, So pretty soon after in 2014, um, I co founded a company with two other close friends who are anesthesiologists called Smile MD, which is a mobile anesthesia company.
0: So awesome. So maybe for starters, talk a little bit about your your transition from residency into clinical practice and picking the private practice that you ended up working with for so long. How did that transition go for you? And what were the things you were thinking about at that time?
1: Yeah. So when I was finishing up residency, I knew I wanted to go into private practice. Academics wasn't my thing. I was ready to just do some work and, you know, obviously better comp packages. And academics was, you know, at some point, that's all residency, you get a lot of these didactic, great people, but not necessarily people who just want to practice. And I felt like that was, I was ready for it after all the journey of, of anesthesia. So I picked a private practice in Columbus that was uh, known to be a great practice, it was very broad. And especially coming out of residency, you want to do every case you want to continue to do a lot of the same, you know, uh, a broad array of cases. And it had that. It had multiple hospitals, surgery centers. Uh, they did hearts. They did a lot of different things. And it seemed like a perfect fit. I was one of the few who left my class and did not do a fellowship. Our chairman, along with it seems like everyone in academics, scares the heck out of you to, to do a fellowship to specialize because, you know, someday there's going to be so many doctors and things that you have to compete with, which uh, I don't think will happen. I don't think will ever happen. But I was a rebel and I went straight to private practice.
0: That's funny. And it worked out okay, it seems like.
1: And it worked out okay. I'm actually glad I didn't spend another year training. Um, I, you know, I joined the private practice and as many know, it's a learning curve. It was stressful, but the practice was great. And after a couple of years, after, you, uh, after I passed the, you know, the oral boards and uh, you, know, you have more time now on your plate, that's when I started to think about, okay, what should I do with this free time?
0: Yeah. So tell me about that. And it's funny because I know a handful, maybe it's just because of how I'm wired. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I love thinking creatively about business and opportunity and how do we solve problems. And I, maybe I just attract these people, but I seem to have at least a handful of anesthesiologist friends who have this similar inclination. So talk about how that started for you and, and what happened at that time.
1: Yeah. So I read the newspaper, the wall street journal every single day, and I found myself veering towards the business section, and I—I I, I really was, you know, I get my energy from other people and inspiration. So, so when people talk uh, in an, you know, inspirational manner, or music, or people that just seem to exude inspiration, my energy just goes to another level. And so I found myself reading about the stories of entrepreneurs or reading about companies who went through so many obstacles and they got acquired or went public or had some crazy impact of a brand that I, you know, can relate to today. Um, I also felt like the books I was reading, which I never read books growing up outside of the necessary school books. My parents always told me to read and suddenly at the age of, you know, early thirties, I'm I have some time um, and I start reading and I really start to enjoy reading. And once again, I start picking more entrepreneurial stories, books on business, books on how companies
0: got built. And it just seemed like an interest to me. Uh, I'm curious, you talked about being inspired. Are there any particular people or particular stories that you remember that had inspired you to pursue this business track?
1: Yeah, th- th- there's a lot of people that inspire me, but you know, I-, I was reading the books of Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and and I know a lot of people know their story, but when you really read about them, I feel it really humanizes people because we know these big brands and these people on a stage. And when you really hear that they were sitting there and thinking about, hey, I really wanna do this and they lost their job, they got kicked out, but then they kept doing it you're like, that's just a stubborn person who thought they were right. The world didn't know it and they were not afraid. They had courage. So for me, that to me is so inspirational. I mean, it, 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 it takes courage to be in medicine but it's a different courage. After we get into medical school and we let's say get our ticket, right? Nothing's guaranteed, but a ticket into a US medical school is a big deal. Then we can kind of relax for a second we have to get work done, but we feel very comfortable. So to leave a area or a stage of discomfort takes courage and it takes something to pull you out of there. To me, there was there was something there that made me feel so alive.
0: Yeah. I So one of my favorites that I read somewhat recently was Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I just curfew. read it too. Yeah. A yeah. couple of months ago. The founder of Nike. And I just found it to be so... It does, you know, you use that word humanizing and I think that's a great word to show the the fears the anxieties the crazy roller coaster of building the nike brand and how you go from you know and when they were making shoes in like the the 60s and all that was required for him to like go up and down through japan and try to find factories and it was just a fascinating story of him you know working to actualize this vision and i you know i don't do anything with athletic apparel professionally but i found his story just super motivating and inspiring I totally
1: agree. And one of the things uh, that resonated with me from that book, there's a lot of points in there, but initially he was selling another brand's shoe. And, And to me, that's what entrepreneurship is. That's why I always tell people, just move forward on something. You're passionate about it. You don't have to decide what it is yet. Just do something and you will learn and you will kind of pivot and you will turn. And one day you might be this brand, one day you might not, but you will be wiser and you will not regret it. Um, so I really, I, I had no idea that's how we started, but uh, it, it's really interesting. That's, that's the fun of entrepreneurship.
0: Totally agree. And it's funny, you know, you mentioned the, the golden ticket, so to speak, of a med school admission. And it's true, like your path can be very, very, very defined as a physician. If, if you kind of want it to be, and you take that traditional path through med school, through training, and then into practice, uh, there's a certain you know, it guarantees the floor, so to speak, like you're never going to make less than X number of dollars, you'll always have a prestigious profession, and you can kind of relax a little bit as far as the the striving for that next thing. And I'm curious, you know, for you, it seems like it, you got to a point where you, that was not desirable anymore, where you're a few years into your anesthesia practice, and you were, the safety wasn't desirable, <laughs> or or perhaps it wasn't as intellectually stimulating, and you wanted to continue to strive and continue to think critically and solve problems and go after something new. So tell me about how that unfolded.
1: Yeah. So the the definition of a golden ticket is very different to me right now. So there is a price for safety. So even even if you work so hard and you get into medical school, which I thought was the end all be all, you still pay a price long-term for being in that stable position. And what I, you know, you become so specialized and kind of tunnel visioned, that you lose confidence and skills and time to focus on other aspects of your life. And I'm in my early 40s right now. And maybe it's just it's because it's phase two in my life. But there are so many things in life outside of just your career, outside of just of treating a patient. And even if you mean well, and you want to help people, there's so many things going out uh, on out there outside of a hospital or surgery center where we as physicians can be helping. And that's actually where I have this physician empowerment philosophy that is not in the scope of a hospital or a practice. It's what physicians should be doing outside of our clinical practice. But there's really not a way to do it. There's not even a way to even think about it yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm starting to bring up content and talk about how we should be thinking about it without feeling guilty, by the way, because you actually have physicians who say, I've worked so hard for this job and now I'm actually not very fulfilled. I want to go spend time here. My perspective is we become physicians to help people and we are only provided one vehicle right now, which is mainly clinical practice. But there are other vehicles that I want it to be mainstream to make us a more
0: kind of comprehensive physician that's fulfilled sustainably. Could not agree more. And, and this is uh, a message that we've heard a lot on this show is that uh, it's my personal super biased belief that, you know, the, the most uh, empathetic, idealistic, others-centered people in our society, many of them go through med school. And the, those are the people we, will, we need to equip and empower, to lead, to make decisions, to be as involved as possible in policy and institutional organizational leadership, et cetera. So I think we're basically, we we're coming at this same idea from two different angles. And I I could not feel more strongly about that. And so I'm curious in that vein, you know, you became aware of this opportunity with Smile MD, talk about sort of your journey into dental anesthesia and how that unfolded.
1: Yeah, so initially it started out as uh, a few dentists coming up to myself and my co-founders uh, to to ask about services in their dental practice. High-end, you know, dental practices they spent a lot of time, effort marketing it, and they said it'd be great if you know anesthesiologists came to my practice and provided sedation for these fee-for-service, cash-paying patients. And initially. our our thought was, wow, we've never thought about what happens in the dental practices. Um, I feel like the the medical dental world is just a big wall. It's just completely separate. Um, But really, if you think about it, oral systemic health, it's one spectrum. It actually should be more closely related than we allow it to be. So after we thought about it, and I I attribute us moving forward to having co-founders. If I was alone, I might have said, that sounds cool. I'll look into it now. That sounds like a lot of work. But I have two other co-founders who are very close friends, so um, the trust is there, the excitement is there, and we all decided to move forward. And that, you know, required looking for licenses, supplies, medications, going through scenarios of, you know, all the good and bad stuff that can happen. That's our job, obviously. And then we moved forward, and we did our first case probably several months after we decided to move forward,
0: uh, and 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 took off from there. So I'm going to ask a series of dumb questions because I'm not a, even a physician. And so <laughs> some of this might be obvious to some of the listeners, but no, maybe okay. what types of procedures in a dental office require sedation? Yeah, so great question. There's there's a spectrum
1: of procedures. And so at a high level, there are procedures that require hours of sitting still in a dental chair. So at the least, there are some patients, uh, let's talk about adults right now, that want to just feel a little more relaxed or want to be pretty sleepy because they don't want to sit and think about what is going on in their mouth. It's, you know, there's an anxiety to that, which is it completely... makes me anxious.
0: Just hearing you describe it. I'm one of yes. those people.
1: <laughs> yeah. We, we, and there's a lot of people like that. So how do we enable comfort and safety in a dental office? Um, and the, the dentist wants to give the best experience to their patient. And we want to make sure the patients get their care. So That's, that's one example. Um, And then, you know, if you look at kids, if a kid needs to get a tooth extracted, let's say there's some, you know, a a rotted tooth that that happens in uh, uh, plenty of kids in this country, actually around the world. I'm a five year old kid, and I need to get a tooth extracted, it's going to take 30 minutes. Well, a, a kid will not sit in a dental chair, right? So they will need to usually go to a surgery center or a hospital to have anesthesia, undergo the procedure and come back. So SmileMD would come out and do a full general anesthetic on this patient or get them off to sleep safely, let the dentist or proceduralist do their procedure. And then we wake up the kid, recover and go back home. And so we get to avoid utilizing the operating room, which should be used for You know, sterile procedures and things that need to be done in the hospital, this is something where they usually go to the hospital for anesthesia. So we're taking that out and we're taking that element out and we're saying, we'll bring anesthesia to you and enable procedures that can
0: be done uh, that do not need a sterile operating room. Is it common or has it been historically for dentists or other dental specialists to use you know, board of anesthesiologists to do these types of things? Or is that is that required? Or are there, you know, other anesthesia providers that have been involved or that are? Yeah, so every state is different. But basically, there are
1: dentists that do that themselves, they get a sedation license and do it themselves. They uh, bring another dentist uh, who's done an anesthesia uh, training or residency. So there's dental anesthesiologists that do it. And then Sometimes they call an anesthesiologist. I mean, I'll be honest that I think our field of anesthesiology isn't as familiar with doing that, but the more folks we talk to, if you have a friend or you get exposed to it and you're able to do that, or you want to do that, let's say in a different phase of your anesthesia career, some people do that, Uh, but it's definitely unknown. And the more we have discovered this, we've been doing this for seven years now, there is so much opportunity to bring uh, uh, the same standards we see in a surgery center or a hospital. And there, with regards to safety and protocols and uh, a team and, and equipment versus, you know, a solo practitioner coming into a practice, having everything and then not even having a, you know, an assistant or an extra set of hands. There's so many things that can happen. Uh, and that's what SmileMD essentially is, is been building is a foundation protocols, a team, um, patient uh, risk stratification, does does it belong here, should they be going to the hospital, we have a governing board, we have peer review, so we're actually bringing the processes of a surgery or a hospital into office based anesthesia, which is, which is, you know, taking a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of intention to do it, but we feel like, you know, being anesthesiologist and being safe, that's the only way to do it.
0: Yeah. Is it, so I'm just picturing a dentist, you know, doing an extraction on a kid or something and, and maybe being licensed to do sedation, what, whatever that means and whatever that training entails. Is that, is that in itself safe? And is that common practice? Like, is that happening at most dental practices out there? Or how many of all the dentists in America, how many are using a team like yours to do anesthesia on their higher risk patients? It's,
1: it's not common at all to use a team. It's, happening all over the country where dentists are still doing their own sedation. And it's been kicked up to uh, certain eyes of associations and, and kind of the legal world where I don't see that happening. I mean, you know, back in the day before the field of anesthesiology was created, right? Surgeons were doing their own anesthesia in the operating room, and the field of anesthesia was created. So now you have at least the, I call them the proceduralist list or the surgeon. And then you have the anesthesia provider. And so when you go to the dental world, that has not happened yet officially. So we think based on what we've seen, there are a lot of scenarios we've seen where uh, really well-known dentists with great practices and a great reputation who do sedation in their own office, even if it's for adults and it's mild sedation, even some of their backup drugs and equipment that they were required to have were expired, they were hidden in a, in a room somewhere. Uh, and you know what I have to say that, you know, the dentist doesn't wake up, start this practice to even worry about that. They shouldn't have to. But I think there needs to be some standard where there's no fear liability or most importantly, danger to the patient or themselves. So we're trying to once again, just bring that standard. I mean, I left medicine, so I don't envy the red tape or bringing that red tape to anywhere but I think there should be a foundational standard. And that's what we're trying to do in a, in an efficient manner.
0: Yeah. And I was doing some reading on this a little while ago, trying to understand like, what is dental anesthesia? Cause it was still totally unknown to me. You mentioned that basically firewall between the dentistry and yeah. the medical world. And I was kind of bumping into that. And I guess there was a case in California where uh, a kid died during a tooth extraction and, and there wasn't it was, they were, I guess it was like a sedation case where the dentist was probably doing it themselves and maybe they didn't have the infrastructure there to be able to provide appropriate care. And then it was like legislation and, and there's, it's been, as you can imagine, when things get to this level, there's like lobbying groups and well, we're gonna cut off access to care if we create standards so high that most dentists can't, you know, attain that. And it's gonna create other unintended consequences. So can you talk a little bit about how, how you sort of process this tug of war between dentists who want to be able to treat everyone as the need arises. And also at the same time, they want to provide appropriate care. Uh, where's, where do you think the sort of the right, where's the, the middle ground or, or where's the, where should we land in this conversation? So going back
1: to my original conversation of, of how anesthesiology started, you know, before we knew or, or had these high safety standards, surgeons were doing anesthesia and then doing the surgery. So it's a, it's a different level of procedures, but in the end you are, you know, if I'm a dentist in, in California and I have a small kid come in and we're talking two, three-year-old kids. And by the way, that this, this happened, I, I can't believe I'm forgetting the, the law that was passed, but this happens, this doesn't just happen one time and got kicked up, this has been happening. And what I have a real issue with, especially being a parent, is if I walk into a dental practice, of course, I trust my dentist, whatever's told to me, whatever's offered there, it makes sense, you, you just as a consumer, as a parent, you think there there's a standard. I think there needs to be all parties that are educated. And we're, we're trying to do that on SmileMD trying to talk. And we're talking with a lot of different people, policymakers, etc. Just to say, we shouldn't be doing this for for anyone. And this has nothing to do with market share or anything like that. We want to enable everyone doing procedures to continue doing it, but they should be focusing on their procedures. If they need anesthesia, you should have a third party person and every state's different who that is. You should not have the same person sedating a patient and doing the procedure. The fact that I even have to say this in 2021 sounds crazy. And yeah, so, I mean, that, that's it. I, we have to have that discussion ASAP. We need to implement so everyone, and, and if, I'm a, if I'm a dentist in a smaller town and I'm hearing this and that dentist says, I just want to make sure my business is not affected, by the way, I agree with them, but we have to make sure there's a safe standard. And so we need to invest in solutions, need to get everyone on the same page and bring our anesthesia folks who we have a, a good amount of folks in hospital practices etc and how do we best utilize them to help them i mean that's what we need
0: to do yeah i mean as a somebody who goes to the dentist and also as a dad i'm thinking all these same like all these questions that i'm now going to be asking the dentist that i never even knew i needed to ask before
1: oh yeah and, and and unfortunately there's a lot of folks who just don't know even what to ask okay you offer anesthesia here okay your your you know sedation is going to be for my kid or whoever they sign, and that's it. So there's really not even a, and that's it has been that way for a while. So maybe it's really hard to change that mindset in the world of dentistry. I think the newer grads, um, as well as in the dental schools, um, in the dental anesthesiology programs, they're bringing that awareness and training there. But there's still a whole generation of practitioners out there that are still utilizing the older ways, which I, which
0: are not safe. So what does that dental anesthesiology track look like? Is that like a a dental degree you go through dental school and then there's like a, a bolt on like a fellowship or residency in, in anesthesia specific dentistry after that? Yeah.
1: And, and we actually have, uh, some dental anesthesiologists that work for us in smile and D it's actually, you know, I never knew they existed before as well, but, um, I I give a lot of respect to their training. So they are dentists. They got their dental degree. Some of them have been practicing for a while and decide they want to do dental anesthesia. And it's about a two-year residency. Um, many times it's, it's in the medical residency programs. And after that, they are able to do dental anesthesia in various practices. And so their training is in hospitals and offices, and then they end up practicing in offices. So it's actually a great thing. And once, I think it was just um made official as a as a whole track or as a profession uh, a few years ago and so that being recognized is showing progress that that's needed and like i said the the younger folks coming out of training in dental school i believe are getting used to a, another anesthesia party being there to do the anesthesia so i think we're on the right track uh, i'm just worried about the patients today and tomorrow that don't have that you know knowledge of, of what should be done.
0: Yeah, part of me wonders. I always I love trying to understand like economic relationships in different contexts and who's paying for what <laughs> and and how much and what that means as far as the model. So, I'm I'm just thinking through this and thinking, well, if I'm a dentist, I'm doing a procedure, you know, if I'm doing the sedation presumably and I I don't I shouldn't presume I have no idea, but I'm guessing there's like a couple line items on here's the things I'm doing for the patient If sedation or anesthesia is part of that, there's that's a build service, I I would imagine. And so, um, what does it mean that, first of all, I I think that probably like less of dental care is goes to the insurer compared to if I got a surgery. Um, And then, if there is an anesthesiologist doing my sedation or or another another person in the room, how does that impact cost and billing and what the dentist actually gets for their services or does it?
1: Yeah, actually, I think a, a, good, a good exercise is to take a step back and look at patients need care. And right now, we're not even hitting a standard with certain practices and certain kids. And so if something happened and things are happening, you know, devastations, what is that worth? There, there's not a price on that. So, So I would say that. Another thing is, if a kid needs anesthesia, and it can be done in the dental practice, what is that cost savings of time saved in transportation to that hospital or surgery center? Uh, there's there's certain um, kids in Ohio that are waiting 12 months for dental procedures to be done 12 months because they need anesthesia. And there's not much room in the operating rooms. And I'll tell you, especially, you know, during COVID, there's been a big stress on hospitals. And so There are states that have kicked out the dentist from the operating rooms. So now if you're a kid in Michigan and you need to go to a hospital to get anesthesia for your procedure, you don't have a place to go. So think about that on the cost of the system. But what if we were in Michigan tomorrow and we hope to be in Michigan soon, then we are able to take care of the patients in the practices and not even You know, most of them don't even need to go to the hospital. Think of the cost savings on that. So I think we should take a more systematic approach versus adding a line item of anesthesia this. Because, you know, I I understand because I've been in these conversations in the hospital where, you know, you have a radiology radiology group who's, you know, the radiologists were doing their own sedation for MRI. And now they're saying, well, we need to add a line item about, you know, for anesthesia. What is that, what is that going to do? And I say, we're not asking the right question here the risk we're doing right now and the way we're doing it is so prehistoric. Let's take a step back. In the end, we need to invest in the safety of our patients, which will, you know, if we're just looking at numbers, that will be cost savings down the road, but we need to do things right. And then we need to do things efficiently and economically. I do believe in cost savings. I don't believe in adding more line items,
0: but we just need to change the way we're looking at it. Makes perfect sense. And I'm thinking about myself, like, dental, whenever you have a dental problem, <laughs> it's not something usually that you want to wait even an hour oh, to yeah. have taken care of, let alone months and months. And, uh,
1: it, and this, it, you know, this problem is, sorry to interrupt that we, we opened up in Illinois a few months ago. And that same kid who's waiting 12 months in Ohio is waiting up to 24 months in Chicago. And so now let's think about it. I have a rotted tooth. I'm six years old. I'm in pain. I can't focus, can't concentrate. I don't want to eat. So then you go into so many other issues outside of literally torturing a kid. And this is in the United States of America. This isn't a commercial for a third world country that we all focus on. This is in our backyard. This is in Chicago, Illinois, which is one of my favorite cities in the world. And this is happening. That is pathetic. So, you know, and this is where the real Naveen's coming out. I left my practice because I want to start impacting physician minds, healthcare minds, business minds, political minds to start paying attention on using time, money, and people on taking care of people. We are not doing that. And the, the hospital system I left and so many other hospital systems, they're building fancier towers, they're getting more specialized, they're getting more staff. And then they're complaining that, oh my gosh, you know, it's a little bit slower. I have all this overhead. Well, you do not need that overhead. People aren't getting basic care, diabetes, weight, I mean, education, you know, all these things. So I, I can go on this forever. But I mean, yeah, that's where my mind yeah. is.
0: Yeah, preaching to the <laughs> choir. Um, so tell me, you know, d- describe your business. And I 100% agree, like bringing anesthesia into the dental offices in that environment where hospitals and ORs are already maxed to to provide the care at the point of need, just it just makes all the sense in the world. So tell me about how your company functions.
1: Yeah. So if there are uh, dental practices that need our services, we will have anesthesia days. So it has to make sense for us to bring a whole care team out. We bring an anesthesiologist, a recovery room nurse, and usually a paramedic as part of our care team. We bring our anesthesia machines, supplies, equipment, uh, and a whole set of standards and policies that we do. So no matter what office we go to, everyone's on the same page of how we, you know, do do various things, which I think is very important in the in the field of anesthesia and the field of um, trying to minimize mistakes and risks. So once a a, a office schedules with us, we get all the patient information, we screen them, make sure they're the right uh, patient to be done uh, at an office. And we go there and we, we bring our whole care team out and we have a full, you know, day of, of taking care of patients and many of those patients were, you know, waiting for a long time to get to a hospital or surgery center so we minimize that we go to the community so if it's two hours out in uh, rural Ohio, we, we go there and bring our whole team. So now the patient and their families don't have to spend a whole day or even stay in a hotel one night or motel one night to go to the hospital. And then we take care of the patients and we discharge them after we feel like they're ready. And the time saved, if you can imagine, from going to a hospital and waiting there, you know, everything. Yeah. So we're saving so many things. And we, in my opinion, we've offloaded a procedure that the hospital doesn't even want. You know, again, ask the state of Michigan. The state of Michigan kicked out all their dentists a few months ago, and we get calls from them that we would love to have your services here. That's a big issue, but the problem, I don't, we don't want it to get to that problem, but this is happening, this is just in dental. And so if you apply that to procedures in general that do not need to be done in a hospital or an operating room that needs to be sterile and have X amount of staff, doesn't it make sense to enable these procedures elsewhere, especially in offices where they're near their communities you have offices that a lot of people—it's—it's it's their brand and they're so proud. The—the the dentist or the—you know—any physician who has their own practice. No one wants, it. you know. Another thing I didn't bring up is they don't want to leave their practice. They don't want to travel to the hospital and wait for the OR schedule and waste a whole day and take care of two patients. So, in this scenario, and I've been involved in a lot of different business ventures. This is a rare win-win-win. Whenever we're walking in everyone seems to get it, everyone seems to get something out of it, and everyone seems to buy in. And so we're just trying to get more people to the table to really educate them on this is what we think we should be doing.
0: It makes perfect sense. It makes me think this should be happening immediately everywhere. Why isn't it already? Well, this is, you know, we're, we're, we're growing. <laughs> we're getting the word uh, out right now. <laughs> well, you know,
1: last year we were in one state and now we're in three states. So we're, we're expanding and, uh, you know, great shows like you're doing right now, the ability to educate people on what we're doing and why we're doing it. I mean, I really think our colleagues, uh, in anesthesiology really would, would embrace that. And, and we're starting to get that. It was, you know, seven years ago when we were trying to recruit and recruit anesthesiologists to do cases. It was tough because people were like, wait, what is this? Now we have applications coming in saying we love this office-based practice that give us a lifestyle where I don't have calls or weekends. I'm taking care of ASA 1 and 2 relatively healthy patients and in an office setting. It's very different, but I think there's a, it's a great pathway for a career
0: uh, in the, for our future of anesthesiology. So when you're working with a dentist's office, would you do like one procedure day a month or two a month or, and try to batch them? Is that kind of how your team works? We definitely uh, like to group them um,
1: in a, in one day. So if we have, you know, four or five patients and they can do it in one day, that makes sense. Um, And some, some practices are busier than others. Some call us once a week, some call us twice, some call us once a month. We have that flexibility. So it totally makes sense for them and us. There's not a pressure or a contract that binds us to say we need to be here X amount of time. So we're trying to make it as friendly as possible and for there to be such a small barrier for them to call us and
0: say, This is a, hey, I need your services. Got it. And so tell me about, you know, the applications that you're getting. Like who, who is uh... Who's interested in joining your team? What's the, the profile of those, either physicians or CRNAs or whoever it is? So we,
1: we use physicians right now, physicians and dental anesthesiologists. And we actually, I'll tell you, it's all over the board. We have folks who are middle of their practice and want to change. We ha- now are starting to see some young folks who see the opportunity to practice like they imagined how practice would be. Uh, Because, you know, the the words out that some hospital practices are, are, are a lot, it's a lot to take in, there's a there's a lot of baggage, there's a lot of sick patients, there's a lot of things that um, aren't necessarily the greatest for a hospital practice, especially after you have your learning curve, and you, you feel like you got your big cases out. Now, let's put a little bit of a lower stress model in place. And we have folks who are closer to retirement who just want to slow down a little bit and pick their hours and pick their days and do that. So we're starting to see a variety. Now, if we had this interview three years ago, I would not be saying that. I would say it was more folks who had done some locums, maybe had a part-time private practice and just had extra time and they wanted to do some shifts with us. That still is the case, but that was our main probably app applicant, you know, your typical applicant now where it's, it's all over the board and, you know, we we look forward to growing because I really think we're, we're onto something, especially in light of, of COVID, where a lot of folks had more time to think there was a lot of head, you know, head butting between hospital administration and physicians and healthcare staff in general. And I think to me, accelerated what physicians are in a hospital, which to me, is looked upon as labor force. Um, I, you know, that in the end, we we never want to think about it that way. But you have really highly skilled, intelligent, credible people who are placed in a position where their jobs are on the line if if they need a cut staff or they don't have enough PPE. So, you know, you're you're lower on the totem pole. That to me is unacceptable, but it's the reality. That's how physicians are looked upon. Within a hospital system, I saw that years ago, and that's it, it. It 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 kills me to be to see that, and so I'm trying to number one help with awareness of that because unless you're aware of it, you will not change. But I think you know bringing that awareness and then bringing options of what we can do as a you know as physicians in society, what can we be doing? to be at the table to make decisions. And it's not, within the, it's not within the vehicle that's provided to us. We can't just climb up a hospital ladder and say, okay, I wanna be at the table where decisions are made. We're not even, we don't even know where that boardroom is, trust me on that.
0: What, uh, what has been the most challenging part of building this company? I mean, I think the most challenging
1: part of entrepreneurship and business is everything takes longer. And we see these successful brands and businesses out there. And many of us do not realize what they went through and how long they went through it, right? We are seven years old. The, the smile and D is seven years old and it feels like so much longer. And we've been through so much. There were times we were sitting at a table and we said, should we continue this? We're like really slow right now. But we decided, look, this is going to take a while. We had to pinch ourselves, remind ourselves, you know, give each other the, the optimistic views sometimes to just say, let's keep going. We're not risking a lot besides our time, you know, our reputation, who cares? We're, we're starting a venture, people fail. Um, and, and, you know, we had to risk our money, but, you know, in the end, you just need to keep going. So that, that's probably the challenge is that everything takes a lot longer than I anticipated. And even knowing that now, it still feels long.
0: Are there any regulatory or legislative types of challenges, or like red tape, or any anything like that um, that causes problems for you to try to get into other states or do these types of procedures with dentists? And you know, going back to that firewall that we mentioned before, where like the dentistry and the medical world, maybe the laws aren't made to accommodate dental anesthesiologists. So I'm going to ask you a question.
1: You're in the United States of America. With the U.S. healthcare system, and you want to take care of a patient utilizing medications in a in an office that still, you know, requires a dentist or still allows a dentist to do their own uh, sedation. So you you tell me if if there are obstacles and a lot of paths to navigate. If you had to guess, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the question answers itself, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it, it, there are. And we've spent a lot of time, when I, was, when I was saying we've spent a lot of time, money, um, and intention on building the foundation, a lot of it is that as well. Outside of protocols and equipment and, and processes and, and good people, by the way, we've ha- had so many great people join the team. There are so many ways to navigate this. And then when you open up in a new state, they have their own set of rules, own stakeholders who we, we need to talk to. So absolutely. And it's, it's literally why we have a governing board. We have compliance officers. We, we
0: have a lot of folks that just work on that. How is this received in the dental community? Are, is it, do you find that most dentists are receptive and like welcoming? Or is there like a territoriality that, that makes it a challenge to introduce these ideas?
1: Sure. So for the most part, very welcoming. We are enabling their procedures. That's how they look at it. And there's, there's a few that didn't understand it, or if they're been doing sedation for years on adults and they don't want anyone else, I don't see them as, you know, them seeing us as a threat, but just, no, I'm not, not interested. I'm good, but there are more and more dentists. And as I was telling you, the young folks that are coming out of training, they're used to now having anesthesia services that they got used to in training. And so they welcome it. We get calls from all around the country that if if we are in that state yet they say hey smile md over here yet we get calls all the time and so the ones that have been on the fence or nervous to say hey I always send my patients to the operating room or I just send it out and refer it out once we start educating on what we do and we have an anesthesia day there or have our first smile md day there by the end of the day they're usually very they appreciate the process and how serious we take it because I think in the end, the first thing that comes to mind is comfort and liability. And as soon as we come in and do our thing, take our time and educate, talk to the patients, talk to the parents, they feel at ease and then they realize how much more efficient their day was. And then they realize that they don't have to refer out. There's so many wins for that dentist. And so if they give us the opportunity to prove that, it's it's good and, and 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 we see that changing already not to mention the wins for the patient and uh, oh absolutely yeah. which which if you're the dentist you, you know the the patient is your client or the patient is right. your customer right yeah so
0: yeah ha, you know win 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 this is a i want to wrap up with this last question and i appreciate your time today dr goyle yeah um, of course I haven't asked this question on the show in a long time, but I really, I, I wanna ask you in the context of your business, because as you mentioned, you know, blood, sweat and tears, the things that go into this, the moments of doubt, when you're in that room with your two partners and you're like, oh my gosh, like another dentist just canceled on us. Can we, is it even worth trying again tomorrow? Can you maybe just tell a brief anecdote and take us to a moment of either you know, significant challenge or that you pushed through or a moment of like renewed resolve where you were faced with a particular hardship and where you were able to sort of renew your own vision for your company and the future that you wanted to see manifest here, where kids don't have to wait two years to get a tooth extracted and and how that played out in that particular scenario that sort of enabled you and your partners to keep on pushing forward.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think early on when we were doing fee-for-service adults, we were very sporadic and you know, we treated it like a side gig initially. And when we got really slow, we were really thinking about, hey, should we pause this for a while? Should we just stop? It's You know, we can maybe think about this later on, but we're really slow. We're putting a lot of time on a lot of phone calls. And my my buddy Tharun, who, um who is a pediatric anesthesiologist and he was working at the local children's hospital, he called us and he said, you know, we can, but just so you know, the, the, the surgery center here that does the dental cases is backed up nine months. He's like, we could be doing a lot of these cases at these offices. We, 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 we know we have something here. Why don't we really consider that? And so for me personally, and I think for, for both my co-founders, It became a moment of this is something bigger than just providing some sedation for some adults who can pay cash. This has a social impact, a healthcare impact and access to care impact. And I think that rejuvenated us and it got us through a lot of tough times. And that's where in general, the businesses that I'm involved in and invest in and build are impact driven for people, something that benefits people And we have a lot of access to healthcare, access to education, access to clean water. And yes, we're talking about the USA, not even starting with other countries yet. So I think if it's a purpose-driven organization, that will get you through a lot of hard times. You will hit hard times. You will hit obstacles. And when you do, it becomes
0: maybe easier or maybe justifiable to keep going hmm And it shows in that moment that you picked the right partners too. Because if you get into a business or a venture, someone as entrepreneurial as you, you've definitely interacted with these people out there who want to start a business because they want to make money. And, and that's great. And you know, in a capitalistic society, economic benefit and reward for solving a problem is the right way. It's, that's the right way for it to work. But when things get tough, money... <laughs> Money is not enough in that gut check moment to get you back on the horse and keep riding in the direction that you know is the right direction. So I think that just speaks a lot to the vision that you have and that you share and the, the real uh, the constitution of your partnership and, and their shared vision for that. And I I mean, I'm inspired just hearing you tell the story. So Dr. Goyal, it's been a pleasure hearing from you today about SmileMD. Thanks for joining us today on APM Success. Justin, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure
1: talking with you and I appreciate all that you're doing and getting the stories out. So uh, our anesthesia colleagues,
0: I'm sure appreciate it as well. So thank you for having me. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.